Welcome to New Life Miami, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nlmiami.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are Um, If you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. Um, Today's message is titled Shift in His Anointing. Um, We've really, uh, we planned three messages in this shift series, but the reality is God had his way and he added like two more um, to what was supposed to be three. So really it went five messages deep. Um, So so praise God. God has really been speaking to us through attitude, uh, through atmosphere, and through anointing. I want to do something special because I know uh, I know very well that sometimes when it rains, I mean, it's not an excuse, so I'm not trying to praise you uh, for something that you should do anyways, but, but I want to honor the fact that, in a sense, you didn't stay home, you didn't say, you know, today's rainy, it's chilly, and sleep in, but you decided, I want to be with the people of God in the presence of God, and give yourself a hand. You're here to seek the Lord, Amen. You're not too enthusiastic on giving yourself a hand. All right. We're going to jump into shift in his anointing. Before we start, I want to share a quote from D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody. And it says this. He says, there is no use in running before you are sent. There is no use in attempting to do God's work without God's power. A man working without this unction, a man working without this anointing, a man working without the Holy Ghost upon him is losing time after all. What an awesome quote, huh? What an awesome quote. Here's D.L. Moody, and in this quote, he talks about the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He talks about the anointing in our lives. He talks about a man living with this presence in his life and If it's not upon us, then what really are we doing? We're truly just losing our time. I want to talk as I discuss on anointing. I really just want to use this verse to introduce it. And it's found in Genesis chapter 28. If you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open to that. Because sometimes when you read it on those pages, some words pop up and really minister to you. In Genesis 28, verse 18 and 19. Once you're there, give me an amen. And we'll read those two verses. It's the first time that anointing is mentioned, with, or, or with anointing oil specifically is mentioned in the Old Testament. It's a p- time where Jacob was in a place that would be called Bethel. And as Jacob was there, he was resting his head on this stone, on this rock, on this pillar. He had an amazing dream at this place called Bethel. It was a place where God really showed up. And God confirmed things in his life. Jacob, if you know anything, he was running for years, running from his brother. He had deceived his brother. And um, the Lord was really getting his attention. And the Lord was going to do a mighty work in Jacob's life. If you know the the story throughout Scripture, you know that Jacob becomes Israel. um, And then from there, um, they become a mighty nation. And it was all a promise that began with giving it to Abraham, the father, um, well, his grandfather in this case. And as he's there and the Lord appears to him in a dream, he decides, God spoke to me. And it was deeper than just this dream, this vision. God really did speak to the depth of my being. And what he did was he grabbed the rock that he was laying on. 
and he does something special to it. I'm going to read verse 18 and 19 of chapter 28. It says this. It says, Then Jacob rose early in the morning, after the dream, after God spoke to him, all that. And he took the stone that he had put at his head, and he set it up as a pillar. And he poured oil on top of it. That phrase right there is, and he anointed oil on top of it. Everyone see that? And he called the name of that place Bethel. And the name of that city had always been Luz, but now it's Bethel. I want you to write something down in your notes because it's very important as I give you this introduction here. When Jacob wakes up from this vision and recognizes that this is holy place and God has just spoken to me, he takes out oil of anointing. And as he takes out this oil and he anoints this rock on it, right after he's done with this act, he says, this place from now on shall be called Bethel. Write this down in your notes because it's so important. The word Bethel means house of God. It means house of God. So he calls the place Bethel. He calls the place the house of God, for God has spoken here. House of God. And he anoints oil on this rock in a place called house of God. As we look at this word anoint or anointing, I want to make sure you know the origin of it and what it literally means. And we've preached it. I think like a year ago here, but just in case you forgot, the word anoint in the Hebrew, I'm going to massacre the Hebrew. I'm not a, uh, an expert or any of that in the Hebrew, but look at the top part. The, the Hebrew word for anoint is mashak, which means to smear with oil. The interesting thing about that word is, the next point is, the Hebrew word for Messiah is the same, mashak, which now means the anointed one. So the word that is used for Christ is, is, is literally the, the, the word Christos, Christos. It's actually this, this, this word, even as it's translated from the Hebrew to the Greek, it's actually the word that means anointed. So in the word Mashiach in the Hebrew, the anointed one, and the word Christos in the New Testament in the Greek, both of them meaning anointed. So when we say Jesus the Christ, do you understand what we're saying? We're saying Jesus the anointed one totally different many times we think oh that's his last name it's not jesus christ christ is not his last name it's the statement to describe who he is it's jesus the anointed one when they would say that jesus the anointed one jesus the anointed one the one that prophecy speaks of the fulfillment of prophecy the anointed one jesus christos yeshua christos it's christos and in the hebrew in the old testament Mashiach. So when you look at the story of Jacob, let's go back to it for a moment. He grabs this stone, this rock, that he happened to be resting on. That's a key word there, resting on. He was resting on a rock that he eventually anoints with oil. And then he calls the place house of God. Are you guys with me? And, and you read that story and you could automatically, hopefully, catch the revelation of what God is trying to speak to us in the Old Testament, if you haven't caught it yet. What, what, what he's trying to teach us is this, that, that he is our anointing. And only he can impart his fragrance to us through our closeness, through our relationship with him. 
See, here is Jacob and he anoints this pillar, he makes this pillar or he anoints this stone that he is resting his head on as he claws this place, Bethel, the house of God. And the symbolism here, the revelation is so rich here. It's rich because as he calls the place house of God, we recognize that we are the house of God. It's us. It's where, it's where he lives. If I ask you today, hey, where does the presence of God live? If you say it's in this building, you've been taught wrong. The presence of God, the Holy Spirit lives within you. You are now what? Temples of the Holy Spirit. What? You are now houses of God. Bethel. You are Bethel's. You are a house of God where, where God dwells in. You've heard us say it over and over. The reason that the presence of God falls in this place when we're together is because together we bring the presence of God. He lives within our lives. He, he lives within our house. It's us. He lives in us. The, the houses. We are the houses, the temples of the Holy Spirit. And listen to this. The rock the rock all throughout scripture, the rock is always Jesus. It's Christ. Have you noticed that in the New Testament, scripture calls us living stones? Living stones. And here's Jacob. He's resting on the rock. He makes this pillar. And as he's resting on this rock, he names the place house of God. And we recognize that Christ is this pillar. We recognize that Christ is the rock of the church, of the house of God. And his living stones, as his living stones, we are being built together into what scripture calls the living house of God. That's crazy. Together, we are being built up as the living house of God. Together. So here is this rock in Genesis 28, and this rock that gets anointed. And, and what Scripture is teaching us here is what? It's very, it's very now you're seeing it, that, that he now, the rock now, that he is our anointing. He's the anointed one. That Christ, like the rock that Jacob poured oil on, that Christ is the head, that Christ is the rock, the pillar of his body. That's why he anoints it with oil and then caused the place house of God. Why? He didn't anoint the place with oil. He anointed the rock with oil because the place is called house of God, but the anointing is found in the rock who is Jesus Christ revealed in the New Testament. That's the truth. The house of God is anointed if Christ is the rock of it. Because I've been to many so-called houses of God, huh? But there's no anointing. Because the anointing never comes from man. The anointing comes from Christ. When someone comes up to you and says, I have the anointing. You say, actually, <laughs> Christ is the anointing. He's the anointing. He's the anointed one. He's it. And we are simply members of his body. And we are anointed. Listen, you can write this on your notes because I'm going to go back to this a lot today. And we are anointed by our association, by our contact with Christ, with him who is our head, who is our anointing. 
How many of you want to flow in the anointing? Just to use a very churchy phrase. How many of you want to flow in the anointing? Right? We'll get close to God. If not, it's production and it's a show. But when it's closeness and intimacy with God, it's the anointing that comes from God. Are you guys getting this? So if we're ever going to have a shift in his anointing, as we call this today, I hope you wrote that in your notes. It will only come from your proximity. It will only come from the closeness, from the contact you have with the rock. So I'm going to ask the house of God a question. Hey, house of God, Bethel's. Bethel's? Does your head, does your head, does your mind, does your soul, does your all rest on the rock, on the pillar, who is, who is, who is Jesus Christ? What do you mean by that? Are we close? Are we intimate with him? His fragrance, the anointing which is upon him, will permeate, will spread in our lives, will rub onto us. If we're close to him, which is how the anointing oil was put on on things. It wasn't just dripped on and, and dribbled on. It was, it was rubbed and it was smeared on whatever was anointed. If you remember, I preached a while back or I shared it during worship. There was a time when, when the priest would be anointed with oil. Remember when I shared that? It said that the, the oil was so strong on the priest, he was rubbed and poured oil all over him that it would actually drip from his beard down to his clothes. It was so strong. I told you guys that when he would turn and he would be in the corner and turning in to uh, your, close to your proximity, close to where you're at, you would be able to smell him from afar because the fragrance of the priest was so strong. Because it was a, it was a smearing, it was a rubbing of anointing that was done upon that uh, priest. And, and that's exactly what this is. Listen, when we are perfumed, when we are anointed, it happens because of our association. It happens because of our relationship with Christ. You've been so close to God, you just feel like you flow better. But then when you start to get distance from God, just things become dry in your life. This is why. Because they're no longer functioning in the anointing. The anointing functions when you're close to God. So there's no more oil. Things become drier. They become drier. Because, think about it, when you start putting oil in your bike, it starts squeaking. It starts turning rusty. It's horrible. When your door, right, the, uh, when I first moved into my house, the bathroom door, so if I had to go to the restroom at 2 o'clock in the morning, I was like, gosh, and I was very lazy for a month, very lazy. One morning I did it, it was like 3 o'clock in the morning, I went, Aah. I said, I can't take this, I'm going to look for oil. I went all over the house, I couldn't find oil. I literally got olive oil. I said, it'll work. I poured a little bit of olive oil in the little cap and I just put it into the hinges of the door and I started to move the door and it has never gone and squeaked again. It now functions in what it was called to function because oil was poured on it. When oil is taken away from it and it begins to dry, it will begin to squeak and it will begin to show that it's not being useful the way it was called to be useful and it becomes an annoyance. Can I clarify that? It becomes a disturbance. Do you want to be a disturbance to God's people? Do you want to be an annoyance? Or do you want to be covered in oil? There's an anointing on your life. 
because there's a presence upon your life. And you're perfumed. There's a fragrance of anointing in our lives. I'm just going to talk to you guys today because there's a fragrance of anointing in our lives that will point those attracted by the perfume to its source. Someone who is truly anointed points people to Christ and not to themselves. Because someone who is truly anointed knows that their anointing is not in them. Their anointing comes from him. Why do you think Paul said what? Follow me as I follow Christ. Because I've heard your story. I know you've heard my stories, Paul says. Right? You've heard that I take off my cloak and I throw it on the sick and they're healed. I speak a word and demons, legions of demons come out. So you automatically think that as I walk, I'm an anointed man. But the reality is I'm just a mere man with many flaws because he even writes it in his letters. So many flaws that in one of them I've asked God three times to take it away from me. And every time I've prayed, he has not answered it. And finally he answered something. He says, son, my grace is sufficient for you. The answer is not, yes, I'm going to take it away from you. The answer is, yes, I'm going to give you strength to live through it. So he was always revealing that his anointing never comes from him as the source. His anointing always came from Christ as the source. So when he tells the church to follow me, you only follow me as I follow Christ. You know how cults are started? Cults are started when the leader of the congregation stops following Christ and the people begin to follow him as he gets away from Christ and then cults are started. The only reason why you would follow anything that Regal says and does is because you see a man that follows Christ. If not, you stop following man. My following anyone is because they first follow Christ. That's how cults start. That's how disturbances start. That's how annoyances start. That's how it happens. I want you guys to understand this because sometimes I think we get very mystical with anointing. Very mystical with it. And we forget the truth of what anointing is. Anointing is get into the presence of God and let him saturate your life. And the anointing will flow. That's it. You don't have to go through a seminar to catch my anointing, catch his anointing, and catch their anointing. You don't even have to have someone pray for you to catch their anointing. As a matter of fact, all you need to do is get into the presence of God. And why would you want to catch a man's anointing when you could catch God's anointing? And let me go back to the notes. Fragrance of anointing in our lives points those attracted to us, those attracted by the perfume that we give out back to its source, which is who? The anointed. It's the teaching today. So the anointed one. Are you the anointed one? Am I the anointed one? Anyone in this place the anointed one? The anointed one. Christ Jesus. When you smell someone with perfume on, you know that they've been perfumed. You know that they've been anointed with that perfume. My, my father's really good at smearing himself with perfume. He wastes cologne bottles very quickly. Every Father's Day, every birthday, there's a bottle of cologne for my father. Dad, you're here. I didn't know you were in the room. I thought you were outside. Okay, he's sitting in a different spot today. All right. 
<laughs> well, he's here. He could testify of it. Daddy, you love cologne, don't you? I'm already on the spot, right? You love cologne. It's good. You smell good at least. Hey, it's better than smelling bad. You can walk around and like, at least he smells good, man. At least he smells good. Say it again. I'll get you one for Valentine's. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know what's going to happen, right? Next Sunday, everyone's going to give you a bottle of cologne. But when you smell someone with this fragrance, it's, they've been smeared. They've poured it on them. they sprayed it. I, at least me, I do, I do three sprays, and then I do three sprays in my hand, and then I do this. Anyone does, does this with me? And then I grab the bottle again, and I go, so I do three. One, two, three. One, two, three. That is my everyday habit. It's crazy. I have OCD. It's my, I, I have to spray it in that manner. So please bring me some cologne. I love polo black, polo red. Okay, here we go. <laughs> but you've ever smelled someone with cologne. They, they've, they've poured it and they smeared it on themselves. You smell someone with it. You know that they've been um, smeared with it. But you know what's beautiful about that? As we look at it from a spiritual mindset, it's this. That they're not the perfume. They're not the anointing themselves they're not it themselves see they cannot give you that perfume because they're not it they cannot give you that smell because they're not it the reality is they have to refer you refer you to the source you know my actual smell is not polo black but that is the smell that I desire so I squirt it on but you know what happens after a time you no longer smell polo black on me the cologne runs out so I know I gotta what I know I got to rub it on me again. You see, if you say I want some of that on you, I'm going to look at you and say, I try to keep it on me. And those things are expensive. But it always runs out. So the only way that I could give that fragrance is by constantly refreshing myself with that cologne, with that perfume. So there is a constant time where I have to come to that bottle to get what I need from it so that it could give me the fragrance and the aroma that that bottle desires for me to have. The reason why what's in that bottle was created to do. So when you say, I want that smell, the reality is I could hug you and try to rub parts of me on, on you. But it's only going to last for a little bit because I'm not the source itself. I have to point you to the bottle and say, oh, it's this perfume. Go buy it. They sell it cheap in certain places. You could even get a bootleg. If you go to New York, I bought one and it was water when I sprayed it on me. It was horrible. <laughs> True story. But the truth is, I have to just refer you to the source. I'm not the perfume. I'm not the anointing. I can't do that. We, us, have to always refer people back to the source, back to the perfume, who is not, none other than Jesus Christ, the anointed. And we have to do that every single day of our lives. We have to live before people, pointing people to Christ. But my question to you is, as you're pointing people to Christ, what fragrance comes out of you? Is there an anointing? Is there an anointing to love on people every single day of your life? I can't. I just have a bad time loving people. Get into the presence and you'll see how he'll cause you to start loving people. And this is true stuff. Amos, uh, in Amos chapter 6, I'm going to read a, uh, uh, verse 1, and then I'm going to read verses 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, 4 through 8. I want you to catch this, and, and please just catch the wordage of, of the prophet here. 
It says this, verse 1. What sorrow awaits you who lounge in luxury in Jerusalem? Look who he's talking to here. Look what he says. And you who feel secure in Samaria. You are famous and you are popular in Israel. I'm reading from the NLT right now. And people go to you for help. You notice that? There's these people and people are going to them and look at you. You're famous. You're popular. But look what, look what the prophet is saying. What sorrow awaits you? You put yourself out there as some sort of anointed. But man, what sorrow awaits for you? People run to you. But what sorrow awaits you? Let's go four, five, six, seven. You ready? Verse four. How terrible for you who sprawl on ivory beds and lounge on your couches. You eat the meat of tender lambs from the flock and of choice calves fattened in the stall. Verse five. Amos six, verse five. You sing tribal songs to the sound of the harp and fancy yourselves to be great musicians like David. You drink wine by the bowlful and perfume yourselves with fragrant lotions. I'm going to read that from the ESV. Ready? You un- you, they anoint themselves with the finest oils, the ESV says. You care nothing about the ruin of your nation. So therefore, you will be the first to be led away as captives. Suddenly, all your parties will end. I don't know if you guys could read between the lines and what I'm getting at. But I want to say this, and I want you to write this down in your notes because I've seen this a lot in churches. I've seen this a lot in Christianity. I've seen this a lot from the brotherhood. Write this down. Ready? God is not impressed when we manufacture the anointing. He's not impressed. Man, you clothe yourself with beautiful oils. You anoint yourself with the finest of oils. But how, what sorrow awaits you? All the parties will end. When we anoint ourselves and when we pretend that we are anointed when we are not, that's a very scary thing. The anointing, this oil, it was always meant, write this in your notes. If you study scripture, anointing was always meant to be holy and to be set apart. When something was anointed with oil, that means it was set apart. It was made holy. Does everyone understand that? If you say today I'm part of God's anointed, I wonder if any of you could say that today. I'm part of God's anointed. I wonder how many a new life we have that can say I'm part of God's anointed. If you could say today I'm part of God's anointed, you know what you're really saying? I'm part of the set apart. I'm part of those who have been set apart and holy. You're different. There's an anointing because there's an anointed. Makes you different. Do you carry, do you carry the anointing? Today you struggle in answering that. You could only ask yourself one question. Is it because I lack in carrying the anointed? The anointed gives you the anointing. You know that it was forbidden under the Old Testament. It was forbidden to manufacture a false anointing. It was forbidden to, to do the acts of the priest If you remember, David went into the temple and he thought he was a priest. And God looked at him and says, you're not a priest. You need to know your role. You're a king. I never called you to be a priest. And David had to deal with that. Because so many times, here's David giving an impression of something that he did not carry and he was not himself. It was forbidden in the old covenant. And I thought about that and I said, man, how often have people claimed the work or done the work of the anointed while not carrying the anointing or missing out on the anointing? That we've done the anointed's work. But the question is, as you've done the anointed's work, how has the smearing been in our lives? How has he rubbed upon us? 
that we could look at each other and we could look at each other in the eyes and say, talk to me about his presence and how has his presence been poured upon your life? That's an amazing question to start asking one another. To really look at each other and say, can you share with me how the presence of God is ministering to you? What's happening in your life through the presence of God? Don't just listen to someone. And don't just listen to someone's words. But I'm going to challenge you to do something. Look into their lives and ask yourself this. Have they been perfumed? Is there a fragrance? Is the fragrance of God in those people's lives? This is what I want. Ready? That this would be a church that the fragrance of God is in this place. That we would have a shift in his anointing. Write this down. A shift in his anointing. Here we go. A shift in his anointing is when we go from the outer courts. Because you're tired of living. This is what the outer courts was. If you study the outer courts of the temple and all that, this is what it was. Ready? You want to shift from the outer courts. Because the outer courts, you're tired of living in its superficial, casual Christianity that is part of the outer courts. How many of you are tired of living in a superficial, casual Christianity? That's the outer courts Christianity. And you want to shift in the anointing? Well, here it is. You move from the outer courts into what is called now the most holy place. Why do you think when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says what? The veil was torn. Why? To take us from the outer courts into the what? The most holy place. What does that mean? To take us from a superficial, casual relationship with him into a deep, devoted, intimate walk with him. I feel like I'm losing some of you. But that's what he's calling us into now. And what's the difference between the most holy place? Now, that's where you don't have to perform to become. It's where proximity and closeness to the presence becomes the reason you live and the source from which you live through. Man. That you live in the most holy place. And the most holy place, it means that you are close to the presence of God. And because of that, it pours out of you. You know, people that gossip, people that are always bickering, people are always complaining, they lack, they lack the presence of God in their lives. Because there's no way that the presence of God could be heavy in our lives. And then I'm telling Tito behind his back that he's the biggest idiot. That's not the presence of God. That's not the anointing. That's not it. The presence of God is not greedy. The presence of God is not, is not shameful. The presence of God is none of these things. When we live in the most holy place... Listen to what I just said. We don't perform necessarily to become, but it's a place of closeness to his presence, which is the reason we live and the source from which we live through. You can't fake anointing. You know what Galatians 6, 7 says? Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. The fragrance, the anointing is smeared. It's rubbed, and it happens in his presence. It happens in his presence. The fragrance, the anointing, listen to this, it testifies of his presence in our lives. You should write that. It testifies his presence in our lives. The fragrance you give shows in the presence in which you live in. When you come to me and you're cursing and you're filthy, and you're speaking all these kinds of things. I'm looking at you like, you need to get into the presence. I've told that to people before. Where I've looked, my, I've told it to my wife, my wife has told it to me. Where we're just going off, it's like, when was the last time you got into the presence? Because that's not the anointing. 
a lot of the stuff that's happening in your heart today, it's not because God doesn't hear you. It's because you haven't entered. It's not because God doesn't hear you. It's because you haven't entered. And that's what God's calling us to. He's calling us to enter. That we shall want this anointing. A true anointing of God never draws attention to itself, but it will always point to the one who is the anointed one. I'm going to share a scripture with you. Uh, it's an awesome scripture that Paul writes to the church of Corinth. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 11, verses 12 through 15. Flow with me here. NLT, I'm going to read it from. It says, But I will continue to do what I have always done, and this will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. These people are false apostles. They're deceitful workers who disguise themselves as the apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Verse 15. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. You should underline that. They disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. And in the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. On, on midweek, I shared that, that one of the interesting things about our lives is this. I'll use me just to throw myself out there. Uh, I am pastor, right? I am the pastor here. But the truth is, pastor is not what I am. Pastor is what I do. I have to understand that what I am is son. What I am is the one in the presence of God. I am more son before you guys. I am pastor, but I will always be son of Christ, son of my father. When we, when we have that understanding that, hey, there's a difference between what I do and who I am, man, that's it. Because so many people get so caught up in what they do that they forget in who they are and they forget about the presence of God. I don't want to get so caught up pastoring that I forget to be pastored. I don't want to forget so much functioning, functioning that I forget presence. And that's the truth in all of our lives. When you live childlike, as scripture teaches, think about this, the childlike individual, all the glory, all the anointing, all that can be seen by others promotes self. Um, a childlike promotes the anointed one rather than drawing attention to self. Now the childish person, all the attention is always drawn to self and doesn't point to Jesus. There are two kinds of people in the faith. There are those who are childlike, there are those who are childish childish draw attention to themselves i want i need more glory look at me how come no one ever and then the childlike says oh it's him all glory to him it points back to jesus so my question to you is are you in the presence that makes you childlike or are you out of the presence that makes you childish man this is real man this is this is the this is the anointing this is really the anointing and what it's all about so when we go deeper, we got to want to go deeper. We, we want to want to more because, because as we go deeper and we want more of Christ and we want more of his presence and we want more of his holiness, all that that does is it points others to Jesus and it brings more glory to his name. We don't ever want to become deceitful like Paul tells the church of Corinth that I just read. We don't want to find ourselves disguising ourselves into something we are not. And we manufacture presence with lights and glitter and show. But yet you come in here and there's no transformation. And there's no addictions being released. And there's no people's lives getting straightened out. And there are no real salvations. And there's no real holiness. And there's no real set apart. All we are is a Christianity that looks like the world. But that is not separated from this world. So what kind of people do we want to be? What kind of church do you want to be? I want to be the one that lives in presence. The one that does not disguise myself into something that I'm really not. And that happens in presence. 
Shift in his anointing. When you shift in his anointing, it's so important that you understand this. The anointing in scripture in the Bible is always and was always and will always be for a purpose. So if you say I'm part of God's anointed, huh? If you today confess I am part of God's anointed, here it is, ready? Then there's a purpose. There's always been a purpose in the anointing. When someone was anointed in the Bible, it was either for commissioning that individual for a purpose to do something And Isaiah introduces us to this in Isaiah 61. Look what Isaiah says, and Jesus later on fulfills it. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, verse 1. Because the Lord has what? The Lord's anointed me, he says. Now watch this. Why did the Lord anoint him? Here it is. To do something for him. To point to his glory. Here it is. To preach good tidings to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, to comfort those who mourn, to console those on the Mount of Zion, to give the beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Huh? Yes, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to what? To give glory to his name, to win people for his name, to build up his kingdom, never me, always him. Isaiah introduces us to that. And Jesus in the New Testament repeats it. And he says in the same thing in the synagogue, opens up the scroll. And out of all the verses to read, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he has anointed me too. And he repeats everything Isaiah says. I'm the fulfillment of that. And the reason why I'm the anointed one is to draw men to the Father. Why do you think later on he says what? No one can come to the Father but through me. For I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. What is he really saying? I am the anointed one. I draw you to me. John tells us in 1 John 2.20, but you have been anointed. But you have been anointed. By the Holy One. Did you catch that? Not by the prophet. Not by the apostle. Not by sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so and evangelist so-and-so. Not by the person in this church. Not by me. You've been anointed by the Holy One. That's it. By the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. As I get ready to end... There's a shift in his anointing that we're crying out for today. We spoke about a shift in our attitudes, a shift in the atmosphere, and now a shift in his anointing. I really hope that this has moved you because I'm going to share two more passages before we close. I'm not necessarily closing now, but I will in a few minutes. But there's a change in our attitude that must take place. There's a transformation, there's a change in the atmosphere because of the mindset that now we carry into a room. But the truth is that the shift in his anointing, it's going to come from one thing and one thing only. And it's your closeness. It's your position in his presence. I shared two passages in in midweek service after Tito preached. And I want to share them again with you because there's some key words in it that I think are very rich for us today. 
They're both psalms, and the first one, the psalmist says in chapter 16, verses 7 through 11, he says this, I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in his safely. You could almost see Jacob resting on the rock, right? On the anointed one. For you will not leave my soul among the dead. You will not allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. Look at verse 11. You will show me the way of life. How, how, how? By granting me the joy of your presence. What's the way of my life? How many of you have asked that about yourself? What's the way of my life? What's the way of my life? Here it is. It's found in the joy of his presence. There's an end there and he says, and the pleasures of living with you forever. Man, that's powerful. I don't even know if I have to say anything. I think the word does it itself. Presence. There's a special anointing there, guys. The psalmist in chapter 23, as he's talking about his enemies and the table prepared for him and all that, he says in verse 5, chapter 23, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I'm going to stop for a second because sometimes we always look at the enemy as Satan. But the Bible says that the enemy comes to what? Steal. To kill. To destroy. Steal. Kill. Destroy. Steal. Kill. Destroy. It's not always Satan just appearing to you. For many of us, you could define enemy as so many things. They try to steal you, to kill you, this throw you. Some of you guys, it's your past. So your past is your greatest enemy. And every day your past comes back and faces you and it tries to steal, to kill you, to destroy you. And like you're no longer your past and you have to constantly be reminded of that. Some of you guys, it's Satan himself, demons itself, just harassing you, oppressing you. I don't know, I'm not going to give you all the things that enemies could be, but you can imagine what they are in your life. Those things that are all to steal, to kill and destroy. But look what the psalmist says. And in the midst of knowing that the enemy steals, kills, and destroys, Scripture says, in all of that, the Lord prepares a table before all those who are going to steal, who want to kill, and who want to destroy. <laughs> it's crazy. You anoint my head. Did you catch that? You anoint my head with oil. <clears throat> Notice that the psalmist is saying, you anoint my head. My anointing comes from the anointed. My cup overflows. Did you, did you notice the bridge between those two verses? The only reason that I'm about, that, the only reason why I'm able to overflow, the only reason why I'm able to minister is because his anointing man, has poured in me. It's found in the relationship between eating with the anointed. How, do you, how are we ever going to function in anointing if we're not eating at his table? How are we ever going to, if we're not drinking from his waters? You want anointing? Sit at the table. Spend time. Converse with him. But why should I? Because he's going to prepare tables before liars and thieves and murderers. And things that ought to destroy you. He's going to set tables before them. And he's going to brag before them. They sit at my table. Why you gnash your teeth outside of my table? What does that mean? You stay in the outer courts, but they came to the table, which is the most holy place. They are the house of God, sitting with the rock, who is the anointed one. 
then he says, surely your, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house. I will dwell in the house. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, you no longer have to go to the house of the Lord. You no longer have to come to here and say on a Monday and say, oh, the, the house of the Lord is closed. I can't dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You don't have to say that anymore. You know, you could dwell in the house of the Lord in your car, in your living room, on your bed, in your kitchen, in your shower on your knees by your couch, in your yard as you're cutting grass, trimming trees, watering plants. Because now you no longer have to run to the house of God. Because now, in the New Testament, you've become the house of God. So when you say, I dwell in the house of the Lord forever, come on, is that really evident in our lives? Are we in his presence now forever? We are the house of God. We're going to close off. I think God has spoken enough, but D.L. Moody, I'll repeat his saying. There is no use in running before you are sent. There is no use in attempting to do God's work without God's power. A man working without this unction, a man working without this anointing, a man working without the Holy Ghost upon him, we're losing time after all. So now you've known what anointing is. Just for the sake of what I've said today, I'm not even, no one's going to even lay hands on you or nothing. Because I want you to open up your heart to God. And I want you to enter into the presence of the anointed. And just say anointed. I want to be part of the anointed ones. Rock. I want to be part of the living stones that you're building up your house. In. I want to function and I want to flow in your anointing. Because I'm connected to the anointed. That's why Jesus shares the parable about branches. You're the branch. I'm the vine. You're the branch. And if you stay in me, you have life. But if you are ripped off from me, you wither and die and you'll be thrown into the fire. What is that trying to say? Your anointing will continue to be produced as long as you stay connected with me. I'm the vine. You're the branch. Don't ever forget that. Branches, branches, branches. You get your life through me, the vine, Jesus says. And if you stay in presence, if you stay connected to vine, your branches will always produce much fruit. Your anointing will always be evident. Your fragrance will always come out because it comes from the anointed one. So guys, I can't rub myself on you. And no one can rub themselves on you. Here it is. Let Christ rub himself on you. Let the anointed one anoint you. Today shift in his anointing. Amen? If only if you're in agreement, just stand up and say, I want this in my life. If you're not in agreement, love you guys. I'll see you here this week. I'll see you next Sunday. And um, let's continue to move. But those that are in agreement, Lord, I want to be part of your anointed. You're the anointed. The altar of your heart, let it be open. Let's sing a song to the Lord. And let that be your prayer. Go ahead. I'll let you and God just deal with one another. <laughs>